The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. guest today, John Corr, joins me to continue creation narrative of Genesis. Welcome, my guest today, John Corr, Master of Divinity. Uh, we will be continuing uh, with our uh, research and uh, overview of Genesis. Uh, this week we have reached Genesis 4, and C.L. Mitchell is not going to be joining us today. He will be returning next week. John, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon. John, would you like to uh, perhaps uh, start with a, a brief review of Genesis 3, where we, where we left off, and then uh, I'll allow you to let you go into Genesis 4 uh, and give us a, an overview there before we, we take it uh, piece by piece? Sure. Well, in, in Genesis 3, we... Um hit a pivotal point of, of the scriptures of, of actually the whole Bible where man, specifically Adam and Eve, uh, fall into sin. Um, it is called a fall, and we meet um, uh, the temptation that they have in the garden that uh, has as its, as its consequences uh, them being uh, cast out of the Garden of Eden. And symbolically and in a real actually practical way, their relationship with God is somehow uh, changed. Um, the place where they were to meet with God in the garden, a place of intimacy with God, a place with, of uh, protection and, and, uh, and fellowship with God is now distorted. And now the, the entrance of sin comes into the world in chapter 3. But chapter 3 is not without hope because... Uh, God um, promises to do something about this. Uh, he does declare that there will be there will come somebody that will that will, um, um, as he puts it, uh, crush the serpent's head um, and help rectify this. We also see introducing into the world the um, the effects of sin, um, where as before the garden seemed to grow and and man would cultivate it, but it wouldn't take much effort now. Man is going to have to work very hard for 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 things to grow and crops and fruit and whatnot, um, and so you be, you begin to see that in chapter three. When we get into chapter four, we'll see how sin has not only stayed, did not just stay with Adam and Eve, but has then progressed to their children, uh, to the point where in chapter four, the very next chapter, we have then the very next sin that's recorded is the sin of murder. Um, so we will see how how sin is something that is a, like a disease that spreads throughout your body. Uh, it has spread to the children, and it is going to impact and affect every single man and woman and child ever born. What what can we assume happens to the Garden of Eden? That's what, a good what, question. What, what does it represent? Well, <clears throat> 
it represents a place of closeness with God, a place where where man and God meet and fellowship with one another. It is a protected place. Uh, it is a place where uh, where there is no barriers between man and God. And in one sense, the Garden of Eden will be, you could say, restored um, in the future with um, uh, with Christ coming back to rule on this earth. And um, it's interesting because when you look at the book of Revelation, you find the tree of the knowledge of good and evil there, or that, I mean the tree of life rather there in, in the book of Revelation. And, and the whole story is brought full circle so that what was disrupted in, in the original garden in chapter 3 of Genesis is going to be made right or has been made, be right, been right, made right by Christ and so that this fellowship with God uh, will happen with him in heaven. And, and uh, so it's, it's a place of, of, uh, of purity, of, it's a place of abundant life, it's a place of, of close walking with God. That is what is pictured in, in the scriptures and the whole rest of the scriptures from chapter 4 on or after chapter 3 is the restoration of that. How is mankind going to be restored? How do we get back into a right relationship with God? And that's the the story of redemption. And, of course, it's fitting that where Genesis left off, Revelation picks up with uh, with God and man joined together. So that's kind of... um, But but can we... Can we take it that the Garden of Eden is never really accessible by man again? It's become too sacred. Yes, I mean, in fact, I mean, he puts a in, it's he puts a cherubim or cherub rather, uh, which is a type of angel to guard it to keep to keep it uh, um, from sort of being defiled. That you might say it's it, the garden is like a sanctuary. You might say. Uh, it is. It, it's a picture of a, of a sanctuary, and you uh, cannot go any place on this earth to find the Garden of Eden with a, with a cherub with with uh, uh, guarding it right now. It's things have changed since then. But the but the picture of the garden and the idea of the garden, uh, the sanctuary with God, uh, will of course um, take place um, when Christ comes back and rules the earth. So. Um, so it's not something where we can go to a certain location, find out this was the garden. We don't know. We don't know where the garden physically was. Perhaps it was on a mountain because of the way that the Bible describes rivers flowing from it or a certain river flowing out of it and from there um, in this area of Call Eden, from there it branched off into four rivers. We don't know specifically where it was and it's probably better we don't know because sometimes we have a tendency to want to worship those those things and uh, not look towards God. So God has, I think, curiously left it uh, unknown. As far as human beings are concerned, as far as you and I are concerned, should we be aspiring not only in becoming Christ-like, but also to aspiring a, a to a place like the Garden of Eden? to place ourselves in. Are you talking like a physical place or yes. just... Yes, Well, I mean, for, for people who are Christians, for one thing, 
the the Holy Spirit indwells the believer. So the, the, the heart of the believer is, in one sense, a sanctuary. And that sanctuary can never um, be um, – the Holy Spirit will never leave that sanctuary, okay? Um, as far as as far as a actual physical place to go to that maybe can help one um, understand that or realize that, yeah, I mean, I suppose people can go uh, to uh, um, – a quiet place, a place uh, that is undistracted, a place that is that is uh, that where you are protected from uh, things that would that would take you away from this fellowship with God. Yeah, I, I, people do that when they go on retreats and go on to the mountaintops and all that. Um, but those, but going into the mountaintop, you know, um, and getting to, that mountaintop experience is great, and it's helpful to to do that to sort of get perspective and whatnot. But um, even in the midst, though, of of the valley experiences and and real life that happens on a daily grind, it's important for for believers to understand that God is not left just on the mountain; He is with the believer at all times. So, uh, to get you know to go it away, yeah, that's you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But now, Adam and Eve are ejected from the Garden of Eden, <clears throat> and they as it says in number one, have relations and they conceive the birth of Cain. Um, what occurs from there? Can you, can you tell me what, what occurs to Cain and why, why does it occur? Well, <clears throat> we have to understand is um, Cain is, is – we have to – first of all, chapter four is following mainly Cain – Abel, Abel is uh, is mentioned sort of there as not in passing, but he's not my, uh, he's a minor character in the story. Uh, he doesn't live very long. His name actually he lives up to his name. His name means it's it's the word Havel, which means um, vapor, like breath. Just it's there and it's gone. Um, but the emphasis on this chapter is really on Cain and Cain being the firstborn from Adam and Eve. After you know, after they get out of the garden, of course, they have in their minds this idea of God God providing somebody to perhaps right the wrongs of the the serpent, and perhaps they think it's Cain. Okay, uh, what's interesting uh, where it says uh, in verse one, you know, the man had relationship with his wife, she, you know, and they had they had Cain. His name uh, means to acquire, to possess. I have, I have gotten a man child. And the way she's described it is very interesting because she doesn't say, I, I got a baby. She says, I got a man with the help of the Lord. And we don't know if she's trying to say, I did it, as if to say, you know, I, God uh, provided um, or created things in chapter 1 and 2. But here in chapter 4, I did it with God's help, but I did it. We don't know if that's the emphasis or if the other emphasis is God has provided, but I'm along as a partner to help this along. Is this suggesting that there is a characteristic about Eve that continues? Uh, we see in in Genesis three that uh, she takes the forbidden fruit, uh, she gives it to Adam, and 
there is, uh, in a way, uh, this pushback element in, in her characteristic. Is that what you're suggesting has possibly been seen it, as continuing through this in, in, in verse 1? It's possible. And that's the thing. We're not, <laughs> we're not clear because the, the sentence, you know, I have gotten a man-child and that says with the help of the Lord, it's, that's not really clear of how it's interpreted. It could be that she has – it could be that she has this tendency – and this is going to be passed on to Cain, of of, um, of of self-made man, so to speak, uh, one who does it themselves. You know, that could be. I'm not saying that's very. Uh, that's entirely clear, uh, or it could be the fact that she just got a child. But the the way she describes him is interesting, and the way that Cain is described uh, is he lives up to this type of name. He he's one who acquires, who possesses, and his 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 whole character is one who is a he's a doer he, he's a self motivated person who does it himself and you get this in this in the way he approaches you see this in the rest of the chapter the way he approaches his relationship with god it's 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 um it's as if he doesn't need god that's the key, that's where sort of the key. I'm not seeing that this is what Eve is, is describing we're just not clear it so it, this is where it's suggesting that man actually has uh, an egotistical side to him which which is seen here in in Cain's character. Right. And the thing about this chapter is is that this really in one sense in uh, this section of the chapter up until you know get to the to the murder part what sets this this uh this chapter apart is it's uh, the emphasis is really on the worship of God and how they approach God and you see a, a clear difference in the way Cain approaches God and in the way Abel approaches God. And right off the bat, even with the with the way he is named, Cain um, is this egotistical, uh, self prideful man. Um, that um, and you know we hasn't committed any crimes yet. We, we're getting a little glimpses of the kind of person he is. You know. Now we go on to uh, verse two, and we see the birth of Abel, his brother, and he's a keeper of flocks. But but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And then in 3, what is 3 telling us? So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Is that showing some sort of insecurity or fear now that Cain is developing? No, actually what it's showing is is that – and when it says in the course of time, it's, there's different ways of – it could be uh, at some time or it could be at the end of a certain amount of days – what it's describing is is them approaching God in worship, and apparently, Adam and Eve had taught them the necessity to uh, to give to the Lord, to worship the Lord. And uh, you know, we don't know how old they are when they do this, but uh, he brings an offering of the fruit to the Lord, and uh, he he you know he's a, he's a till of the ground, so he brings some of his fruit. You know, um, Abel on the other part, it says in verse four. He brings uh, some of the firstlings of his flock and their fat portions. And it says that the Lord had regard for Abel and, and his offering and, of course, not for Cain. And so um, uh, the early readers of this would have, would have caught it right off the bat <laughs> because um, Cain, it says he brought some of his fruit to the Lord, whereas the difference in Abel is he brings the firstlings of his flock and the fat portions. And uh, and the first thing, the first things of the flock, those are the firstborn of his flock. The first, the first sheep, or whatever it is, he's he's raising. He 
gives to the Lord in sacrifice and, and their fat portions, which would have been the best. The priests in the Old Testament were, were taking were – you know, the fat portions were the ones that you know, were reserved for the, for the Lord and that, that was the best part. So you have a clear – you have difference in what they're worshiping but you, or what they're offering, but you also have a difference in, in exactly the quality maybe they're giving to the Lord. So you move on to uh, to verse 5. But right. for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Now, is that simply because Cain was aware that his offering was weaker than Abel's offering? Yeah, I mean, he and has... And therefore, he, he develops this sense of insecurity. You can you can say insecurity. You can say he's pouting. You could say he's a, a, his pride is wounded. <laughs> he uh, he's he's clearly upset because it goes from uh, he, it says he becomes very angry, which is a, an intense word, and his countenance fell. So he's he is upset that his offering was not accepted. Is he upset at himself or is he upset at God? I think he's more upset at God because of his pride. He, he is, his pride was. And, uh, and, and this is my interpretation was such that anything as if to say he gave God whatever he wanted to give God and it wasn't really God who wa- he wanted to be pleased it was himself he wanted to pl- and the fact that God rejected it and said no this is not acceptable and clearly the, he, clearly he knew what was acceptable because the Lord comes back to him and he says listen you you know why are you why are you angry? <laughs> you know he says you know when he says in verse six you know why are you you know why is your countenance fallen? And then he says in verse seven you know if you do well you want you want your countenance to be lifted up in other words you know what to do and if you do the right thing uh, you'll be happy you know it'll be you know be satisfied. But clearly he doesn't want to give to God on God's terms. He wants to give to God on his own terms. Now does that suggest that there is a pairing or a similarity in characteristics between Cain? And Eve versus the characteristics that Adam has with Abel. You know, I don't know if I would if I would go there um, as far as as far as the characters of because uh, something. Well, I'm not sure. Honestly, I'm not sure because um, because of Eve's statement in verse one. Because of the fact that it's really not clear. We do see her though change her tone a little bit at the end of. Uh, uh, at the end of chapter four, um, she when she has Seth later on at, at the end of verse four, she doesn't say I've acquired another man child. She says God has appointed me another offspring in place of Abel. So clearly her language is a little bit different. Something has changed, perhaps. Um, but I, I'm not sure as far as as far as that's concerned. So we move on to verse eight. Cain told Abel his brother. I do apologize. Let me go back to seven. I'm yes, skipping. If you if you do well, will or not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Now, this this seems to be a very important statement. But you must master it. That that is possibly the first time that God says directly that. Sin is something that you have to be aware of. Right. Ever since the beginning of chapter 1. And and he's saying this to Cain, obviously because he knows that Cain is going to do this anyway. Right. And this is possibly the first test, even 
over and above the test that Adam and Eve had because really with Adam and Eve, God never had the chance to even make this statement to them. Well, you know, what's interesting is you bring that up is that the scenario in chapter 3 and chapter 4 are parallels. <laughs> the very test of the tree and now it's the test of making the right choice of what are you going to do with, with this um, with this situation with uh, with your offering being rejected. Uh, it's very parallel. Even in fact, even after the sin is committed, on both chapter 3 and chapter 4, you have God searching them out, asking them questions, and their responses are very similar to one another, uh, except Abel's, his response uh, goes beyond what, uh, or Cain's rather, goes beyond what Adam and Eve said. So you have a, a second test. You're right. It's, uh, it's an opportunity. God says there is an opportunity for you for you to do the right thing. There's an opportunity for you to obey. And, and clearly, he knows what that is supposed to be like. He knows what the, the choice to be, you know, to go back, to go back and get the best of his fruit and bring it to the Lord. To the Lord. Um, and so, and, but the description of sin being like an animal crouching at the door, ready, ready to, to, to jump on you and attack you, uh, is very vivid. And he understands that and he sees that, but um, he, obviously, he obviously makes the wrong choice. And that's, you know, this description is, is, uh, um, is, is there. And, and, uh, so, in other words, Cain never did return with another offering. No, because this, and this shares you with really what the heart of Cain is. Remember, Cain is, <clears throat> in, in one sense, Cain and Abel are pictures of people today, okay? Because, because there is, in this matter of worship to God, what exactly is going on? You have Cain who's giving sort of leftovers to God. Um, and Abel giving the first of his, his flock to the God. Now, when you give the first of your flock to God, you are actually saying, I don't even know if there's going to be a, you know, a second generation. There's, here's my, first, my firstborn flock to God, and I'm trusting God to provide for the second generation. There's a trust. Worship, at the heart of worship here is a, is a gratitude towards God for his provision and a trust of God for his provision. Cain, who is a man of the ground, who's, who's, who's working the soil, perhaps he's thinking, you know, I've, I've put so much work into this. I've put long hours. I need to keep some of the best for myself because I did this, you know. Not realizing it was God who sent the rain, God who provided the seeds, God who provided the soil, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas Abel, who realizes he had nothing to do with, with the sheep of his flock, I mean, they did their thing and they had their firstlings, is saying, God, not only do I, do I, do I give value to you by giving the first things of the flock, but I trust you because at the heart of, of the worship of them is this trust of God. Will God fill in the gaps for what I'm missing? I'm missing some fruit here. So Cain does not go back because he's not concerned with either giving God thanks for what God has done, has given, and he's not concerned with, with trusting that God has provided or provided in the future. That's really the heart of the matter here. So no, he doesn't go back uh, because it's not, about, he's not about, it's not about God in his eyes. It's about himself, you know. So... Here we are in verse 8. Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Now, that has to be in the entire book so far. 
probably one of the most important statements made. Would I be right in that? We see the first occurrence of murder, of jealousy, of obsession, of sin. It is saying so much, that verse. You have – it is. And it's, it's interesting because you have this – right after the first sin of Adam and Eve being – I mean it's not – it's not murder. I mean, it's a bad sin. It's sin against God. Okay, but now you have it spreading down to sin against other people. And what's interesting is is you the first. It didn't take very long, and we don't know how much you know how old they are. But it doesn't take very long for murder to set in, and for and for for man and the effects of sin in man to be fully known and fully producing the fruit it, it produces, the bad rotten fruit it produces. Um, and I, and, I, and I think what happens here in Genesis in, in these first few chapters is that in one sense God is showing how sin is going to grow and become worse and spread to all mankind and just how terrible sin is. Um, but here you have, you have fratricide, fratricide, you have this jealousy of your brother. I mean, what did Abel do? <laughs> I mean, to deserve this, nothing. But it's clearly something within the heart of Cain uh, that uh, you know that you know, cause them to do this. So, well, is that a indicative of man's intent on power, on domination? You know, yeah, you could say yes. You could say that because because you get the sense that obviously Cain is the dominant one. You know, he is he is the firstborn, which you know, if you're most firstborns like me, are we tend to be one of the dominant ones. Um, you have this younger brother who you. <laughs> you know, perhaps he picked on him when he was growing up. And Abel is kind of portrayed as weak, sort of just simple, meek. You know, he's not you – don't, you don't get the sense that he's this dominant one. So there's this, this power uh, this power play that's there. Um, and Cain uh, – in one sense, Cain may be sort of – because of his anger against God is now lashing out on his brother, you know. And you can see what's going on here is you can see a lot about a person's uh, relationship with God by how they treat people, you know. And both are very religious here. Cain is a very religious man. He offers offerings, you know. But yet he goes off and he mistreats his own brother. And so that tells you something about his attitude towards God, you know. Um, and it's the same with people today. Um, so, yeah, Cain, um, this is a very, you know, um, uh, direct and, and – uh, it, it says a lot, though, doesn't it? It suggesting, as in life through the ages and today, that the weakest of us very often suffer mm -hmm. because we are meek and we are not dominant in our own characters. We right. are happy with what we have. Right. We don't want to dominate. We don't want to be leaders. Is that not a terrible terrible indication of, of of the difference between um, those who want to lead and those who want to follow that, that it's often the followers who who do uh, become so um, insulted right you know there's a there's a there's a great responsibility with those who want to become leaders um, a great responsibility to um, to not mistreat or not to force their power on people unnecessarily because God will hold them accountable. In fact, 
when God, when um, the Lord comes to Cain, he says, where's your, where's your brother Abel? And Cain kind of says, first of all, he says, I don't know, which is a lie. You know exactly where And then he says, am I my brother's keeper? Well, by the virtue, by in, the implication here is yes, you are your brother's keeper. And those who are in power, um, whether it's in, you know, in the family or in government or whatever organization, have a responsibility to to use the power not to harm people, not to hurt people, um, and not to do it for themselves and 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 uh, to just be self serving. Um, Cain, um, you know, um, misuses that power against his very own brother, um, and the Lord does not. The Lord uh, is not quiet very long. The Lord knows what's going on, uh, and. Cain thinks he can get away with it, but he can't because he's because God says, you know, the blood of your brother is crying out to me. Uh, the evidence is there, and I know it. And um, but you you misuse your your own your attitude towards your brother was uh, was not good, and, and you know he he typifies the 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 line that can be crossed of those who are in power, uh, who want to be self serving, who want to be recognized, who want to uh, sort of. Um, Keep for themselves, you know, the first things of, of the of the flat of the of the ground, so to speak. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this, this is a uh, <laughs> this is painting a terrible picture of really of where we are today, isn't it? If, whether you look at industry or, or politics or or world domination or whatever it is, that there are winners and lo- losers, and th- there are so many people who suffer. Not of their own actions, right. but because of others. You know, what's interesting is that Cain and Abel is not just about Cain and Abel. It's about you and me, about mankind today. They're those type of people. You're right. There's the two kinds of people, and and those who those who do the domination, who are in power today, by only God's grace, remain in power, have a responsibility, and um, should not be deceived that they can mistreat people and not be held accountable uh, because God sees it all. And you have uh, the two, the, the, those people who want to say, I'm in charge or I'm, I'm accomplishing this. Um, God, I'll give you a, a little, uh, I'll throw you a bone, you know, and, and uh, so to speak, and, you know, and try to keep you happy. And that attitude is not going to fly with God. Abel's attitude, though he, he can be misused by his own brother, um, it is is it is the heart of Abel, the kind of heart that he has, a man, a man of faith, uh, who though he is subject to uh, to murder or subject to mistreatment, uh, it is it is that kind of heart that God sees, and the that kind of heart that God receives. Um, and you see how Cain is going to become cursed later on. So perhaps there is a very profound message in this as there are constantly throughout Genesis and the Bible, that this is showing that empathy is so important, uh, which is completely opposed here by Cain. And furthermore, because of the way that this develops, Cain should have a fear of God because God is going to put him into terrible circumstances for his own good, which is God's discipline. That raises the point 
and I obviously don't want to settle on this for too long, this fear of God, is this fear of God a, a valid position that we should take? Does God want us to fear him? There, there, many times I will hear people say to me that we shouldn't be fearing ourselves. We shouldn't be fearing anything materialistic or fearing anything that is occurring in the world today. What we must do is fear God. Is that valid? And does God really want us to fear him? Well, <clears throat> and you have to clarify in what we mean by fear because in one sense, um, well, the scriptures talked about how the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And in that sense, it perhaps means there is a healthy respect for God. Sure, you, you ought to fear of him who, um, who, who is all-powerful. You know, God's nature is that of love, though. So he's not, he's not, you know, he's not going to come out and get us. You know, and so it's not a threat. It's not a threat, but there's a healthy respect for God, just as I, I, um, um, I have a healthy respect for electricity. <laughs> it's very powerful. And I would not want to get struck by a lightning or, <laughs> or, or stick my fingers in the socket or whatever and get electrocuted. I have a healthy respect for it, you know. Um, so there's a, there should be a very healthy respect and awe, and awe of God because of who he is. Um, Jesus actually says, don't fear a man. Fear, you know, who they can take away your, your stuff. He can, he can kill you and kill your body. Jesus says, fear the one who can throw your body and throw your soul into hell. That is what Jesus says about this fear of God, this healthy respect uh, of God. So, and, and, and really, it is a – I don't like to use the saying, but it's a cop-out, isn't it? Because in fearing God, it's not God saying to us, you ought to fear me. I think what he's really saying is you ought to fear your own choices and your own decisions to make sure that you simply do the right thing. Right. I mean, he's not saying, you know, watch out or else I'll, I'll, I'll get you now, you know, and I'll, whatever, you know, I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm, I like them. It's not like you're saying, um, you're not using fear in the sense of somebody walking down the street at night when there's, you know, somebody following you and you're afraid that there's a person that come out and hurt you. Um, it's a different sense. It's a sense of fear in a sense of, of having a very healthy, health, healthy respect that God by his own sovereignty can, and, can do what he wants with a person, um, and and yet at the same time, you know he it's, he's not the he's not the person who's following you around trying to get you. Okay, um, but there's this healthy fear of God is where it all begins. It's where it's where it all begins because if you have, for example, if I have a fear of God, it's my fear of God, not necessarily just a fear of punishment, but my respect for God that causes me to turn away from sin. You know, I'm not saying I'm sinless, but, you know, there the temptations that come. You know, I think of Joseph and in in later on in Genesis who, who is tempted greatly by Potiphar's wife, who is probably very attractive, and she arranges for him, them to be alone. His response is, how can I do this and sin against God? He has a fear of God because he understands the ramifications of what would happen of his very life and he loves God. Uh, the fear of God and love of God are, are often tied together. So there's a there's a di- definitely a dichotomy there between Joseph's actions and Cain's actions. Yeah, and it's funny because is uh, Cain is given a choice as well. 
and the you know he understands God lays clearly out you have to you know if you do well your countenance will be lifted up in other words your offering will be accepted you'll be happy everybody you'll be fine if you do not do well i.e. if you just leave it the way it is then sin has an opportunity to not only do what it's already doing or trying to do it in your heart or this temptation to do it in your heart, but, but it wants to master you. It, might, it wants to grow you from just from the point of not just bringing bad offerings, but to the point of, oh, as we see, the actual murder you know, of his brother. What's interesting is just to back up here, in chapter 4 where we have Cain being this first murderer and this thing that has grown in his heart, this murderous, envious attitude, prideful attitude, will grow in his descendants to the point where they will murder somebody for the, for the stupidest things, you know, uh, where it will, it, will, it will flourish in a bad way, it will grow. But it started, it starts here and this opportunity and it's the idea of, of sin mastering comes to fruition, you know. Um, is, there something, so. is there something there suggesting that there are times in the Bible when God will say to an individual because of what you have done your descendants for so many hundreds of years will will uh, suffer greatly right right is this are you applying that theory to this that when somebody at this stage does something so bad that it's going to repeat itself in future generations well i have to be i have to be careful here because at this point what what it's showing with Cain and his family is that what be, what begins with Cain with the murderous attitude and the action of murder doesn't just stay with Cain it's going to go on to various descendants in fact the last descendant that's limit, mentioned is a person named Lamech or Lamech and he's a you think Cain was a bad murderer he's even worse so, but here's the thing: is is that is that a person today who is who has a dad who's a murderer? It doesn't necessarily follow that they will become a murderer too. But often, it, it often follows that sometimes a person will will pick up the tendencies of their own parents. You know, simply because they're immersed in it, they right. learn it. They don't have anything else to focus on. But I don't think. But, but I don't think you are you're necessarily doomed because because God's grace is is sufficient to go in. And rescue somebody out of that. I, know, I, I mean, think of lots of people who whose parents weren't that great, or you know, they they come from a bad family, and God comes in and changes them. And they they look at them, they look at their parents, say, "Are you guys related?" <laughs> you know. Um, but here in later, but here the point of the scripture is to show that that what begins in Cain doesn't end with Cain. It's going to proceed to his own family. And this there's a point to this in the scriptures, but uh, this is where we're at now. So let's move on to 11. Uh, Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. 12 is when you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. And of course, Cain turns around and says to the Lord, my punishment is too great to bear. No, no, (laughs) that's very interesting. Because, well, let's just back up to the curse thing. First of all, Whereas in chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, the ground is cursed, right? Now, Cain himself is cursed. Um, before, it, it was, it's going to take you really hard. You're going to have to work the ground. You're going you're to sweat, but it's still going to produce. 
here, it's not going to produce any more cane. Uh, you, 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 you were, you were, you were self-sufficient and prideful and, and whatnot. Uh, here, the very ground we produce for you. And, and just to clarify that for our listeners, we're not just relating to the ground and the way that it will uh, uh, take the seed and grow the plants. We're talking about a whole multitude of things in life that will not work for Cain. Right. Nothing's – It's when you touch something, Cain, it's not going to work. You can have your neighbor who lives ne- right next door have flourishing you know, uh, fruit – and you, everything you try, it's just not going to grow because because of this consequence. But but look at Cain's reaction. He says, "My punishment is too great to bear." And, and I and I just you know this is my interpretation. It's almost like he's has self pity. Where's the where's the shame? Where's the consequence? Where's the repentance? Where's the he's crying over the fact that the ground was produced for him rather than crying for the fact that he killed his own brother. Well, doesn't this show a character that has these two terrible traits, these two opposing characteristics, that at the beginning he's, he is braggadocious, he is, uh, in, in our words today, uh, big-headed, he is arrogant, and then on the other end of that, when he realizes that everything he has done is just shocking, now he's going to take on this sympathetic uh, position. He's going to say, look at me now. I, I, you know, aren't I a mess? And yet everything is his fault. Right. It's his choices. He has this almost woe is me attitude, poor me. Poor me. <laughs> I'm just interested. Those two are such opposing characteristics in a person. But you get, but what you get is a glimpse of a per- uh, of a person who is crying over the fact that they're facing consequences for their actions, rather than crying for the fact that their actions hurt somebody. Mm-hmm. There's a vast difference, you know. Um, when people get caught, are they crying because they got caught, or are they crying because, boy, I, what I did it hurt this person. Yeah. That's a that's a huge and that's his that you see a glimpse of his heart. What's interesting is this happens today. People are we you know we're like this today. It's it's a trait from man that's found in all mankind. Unless you know there is a unless there's a recognition of 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 the people that we've heard or the actions we've done. I mean, I yell at my kids sometimes, and sometimes I have to go back and talk to them and say, guys, I was out of line. I got you know little kids, and I have to say. I'm so sorry, you know, daddy was under stress, but still didn't make it right. I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Um, that's, that's sort of, you know, that's where their whole idea of repentance begins. And you don't see a repentant Cain. You see one who's complaining because um, his circumstances have turned and uh, he feels, you know, he feels that it's too much for him to bear, which he does say. So we go on to 14. Behold, you have driven me this day from the face of the ground, and from your face I will be hidden, and I will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Uh, my goodness me, now he really is feeling sorry for himself. <laughs> yeah. um, is there anything in that verse that, that we should highlight, or would we go on to 15? Well, apparently... Um and we'll go to let's go to fifteen because it's gonna it's gonna complete the thought here um, of with the Lord's response it's, um, that the Lord says that whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be upon that person sevenfold. 
and he gives Cain a sign, some sort of sign. I don't know if it's a tattoo or whatever, but he protects Cain from. But, and isn't that amazing? Why? Why does God protect Cain after he has <laughs> murdered and been so uh, dreadful in his allegiance to God? And yet, this is this not starting a paradigm that we see through the whole Bible with so many characters that God, instead of punishing them, actually does something the opposite to help them? Well, he does punish them. He does punish Cain, you know, with the whole idea with the fruit of the ground. But what you're saying is is there is an element of God's long-suffering with Cain, of element of his his kindness towards him, even though he knows what Cain has done. Even though he's known what all of us have done, and yet he still shows kindness to us every day. But isn't that suggesting empathy? Isn't that suggesting this this ideal that I understand who you are, I understand who you're about, and you can appoint this to to, to today as much as you can then. But you know, after everything's taken into consideration, I'm going to get to understand you here, and I'm going to help myself to help you. Yeah, I think I think you get a glimpse of the heart of God um, here in this chapter and also in the previous chapter of perhaps God is showing him kindness perhaps to to get to his heart. You know, God is still interested in Cain uh, as a person and um, though, you know, Cain um, you know, he's he is who he is um he, God shows his kindness to those who who do wrong things and it's I, I think of I think of Jesus who, who one of his very own disciples Judas uh, who was a murderer um, who had this thought in his heart that came into his heart to uh, turn Jesus over Jesus knew this ahead of time and yet he still has him sitting next to him in the place of honor at the Last Supper and yet he extend and he extends the cup to him, a sign of fellowship and of love. You have the same picture here back with Cain, and I don't, you know, it's not exact parallel, but the ideas of this, of God, um, you know, if God wanted to, he could have killed Cain right there and be justified. But he allows Cain to live, and he allows him to, he protects him, perhaps to try to still reach Cain. I don't know. Is this in a way God? utilizing the weaknesses of mankind to actually improve mankind and set an example of how not to do it. Interesting you asked that, how he's using the weaknesses of mankind. I would say, I would say in a sense, yes. And I would say that in one sense, you have to be brought to a place where you realize your weaknesses you know, where you realize your deficiencies and you realize your need for God. Cain, as being a self-made man of man of you know, who acquires and possesses and he does it himself, is not there. But perhaps the intent is to get him to that realize because if if God and he, what he does in these in these few chapters here, he almost sort of, in one sense, up until that time of flood, takes his hand away and says, this is what's going to happen if, if you are left to your own devices and you believe in your own strength and believe in your own powers and believe in your own abilities and you think that that's going to 
improve you or change you. He says, let me show you what's really going to do. I think what he's doing here is, is, um, uh, is, is, um, or what he does with, with bringing men to realize their own need for God and that they cannot do it all themselves. And I think that's sort of, you can imply what he's doing here with Cain and, and, uh, what he tends to do up until, actually up until, uh, Genesis 12, you know, Genesis 11, 12. Is there uh, an assimilation there, a connection with today when we see ourselves making so many mistakes through life? Uh, sometimes over and over again, uh, it would be hoped that that didn't occur. But life is about that, isn't it? It's about making mistakes because unless you make the mistakes, you will never learn. Right. Now, is, is that... Uh, is that a uh, uh, is that something that God has offered us as human beings to ensure the um, to ensure that wisdom finally becomes a strong mindset? I think, and that's a good question because I think what you have here is you do have a, a you know, life has we are we are faced with choices and we face the consequences of our choices and. And it's funny because in Genesis 3 with Adam and Eve's sin and now in Genesis 4 with Cain's sin, I, they both had choices. They both fell on the sin. And yet there seems to be an implication that that one learned from their mistakes and the other one didn't. I, I'm thinking that, for example, in, after Genesis 3, that perhaps Adam and Eve, they had sinned and fallen and God provides clothing for them. He still provides them. And yet they, they, they realize they teach their sons how to worship God. So perhaps they are still hopeful for, you know, they're still hopeful for what God's going to do. They realize their mistakes, and, but it doesn't take them totally away from God in the sense of uh, that they have this, you know, never-ending upsetness or uh, unhappiness towards God. They respond, they, they teach their children how to worship God. They teach them how to make right choices and say, we made bad decisions. Perhaps they set... Cain and Abel on their knees and say, guys, follow the Lord, trust the Lord, worship the Lord, you know, and if and there's consequences of not doing that, let us tell you what happened to us back in the garden. They realize that and they want to do, and they want to make something right out of it. They want to, they want to uh, improve their lives. Here you have the opposite with Cain who, who makes uh, the, the bad decisions, faces the consequences, but never learns from it, never really learns from it. As we said before, because of his his uh, self pity, so um, life and circumstances and decisions we make can take us in the, in roads that we don't want to be on. So, what do we do about that? What do we learn from that? How how do, how do we how does it make us better? There's a saying that says that that, um, and I'm going to paraphrase the saying <laughs> that uh, that trials or difficulties can be either make us better or bitter. You know. Yes. Yes, and I think that's the picture here: is 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 how all of us are faced with all of us make choices that that don't work out or just or bad choices, um, and all of us can look twenty twenty back and say, well, if I would have had this, I would have done that. But how do we learn from it, and how does it how does it cause us to trust God or uh, or turn to God even more in the future? Now, as we swiftly move towards the end of the program, uh, finishing here at verse 16 and uh, start again next week uh, to complete the, the Genesis 4, the chapter. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Now, in conclusion, therefore, 
Cain is allowed to live not well uh, with great pain, suffering that he brought on himself. But the Lord is using Cain as an example of not what to do. Right. And he's ensuring that whoever comes across him cannot disable him or kill him because if they do, they will have no point of reference of of a human being that has strayed. Right. And so... Where does this take us uh, as a as a uh, final statement here, John? Um, where do you think that Cain could be uh, seen today? Uh, how what sort of characteristics in today's society would you say that Cain would take <laughs> yeah. on? And how much time we have? <laughs> <laughs> About thirteen seconds. Yeah. Um, Cain is a picture of of. Um, of a person who thinks that they are the center or thinks that they have uh, they that they uh, make things happen for themselves not realizing that there's a hand of god in their in their lives not realizing that um that we should be thankful for for what god has given us the very breath in our in our lungs is from god um and how to handle how to handle um, the bad choices we make. Um, we can feel sorry for ourselves, for what we're facing and what we're in. Or we can say, God, help me. Um, and God is all the more willing to do that and to respond to that. W- with Cain, the choice that he was given was a choice to to trust God and a choice to um, to allow God to be God in his life and to see how God can provide and God and the great things that God can do um, in his life he never saw that except for the protection he gets from God he, he doesn't see that and there are people today who are like that who who sort of give God the leftovers you know, and not really giving God, um, returning to God what he's given to us, you know. And I'm assuming that Cain could never aspire to becoming the godly person that he could have been. You know, it's, with with Cain and Abel, it all is, and even with Jesus says, it all begins in the heart. That's the work, the, what a person does for a living doesn't make that that whether you're a, a gardener or a, a, sh- a shepherd or stockbroker or real estate agent or radio guy or wh- whoever you are, that doesn't matter. What matters is what's going on in the heart and what's going on in the heart and your attitude towards God and your attitude towards your your fellow man will affect your life, and it can make it very difficult, <laughs> or it can make it. Um, a blessing, and this Cain is a picture of of that, and, and uh, the opportunities that 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 are there for for people to um, to follow God and to trust Him, uh, and the the consequences of of having this 
pride in the heart that steers people towards uh, away from God. John Cor, thank you for joining me today. Uh, it's been a pleasure as usual, and next week, uh, no doubt, we'll be continuing uh, onwards with uh, verse 17. Thank you again. Thank you. And to our listeners, um, we hope that you have enjoyed this program as much as we have once again. We hope that you'll join us next week to continue uh, the uh, Genesis chapter 4, meanwhile, wherever you are in this world. God bless you. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. David Gibbons in Discussion welcomes listeners' comments and viewpoints at its blog at davidgibbons.org. This programming is supported by organizations and firms in the private and public sectors. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america business channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericabusiness.com the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio visit voiceamerica.com the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the voice america talk radio network its staff and management 